what Harry was great at, and he had this philosophy that when anybody walked in the store, he didn't want their eyes to wander what's in the store, he wanted their eyes to lock with him or the individual, and for him to say, hey, come over here, I have what's great for you. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? There are a handful of consumer brands here in Canada that have established themselves as captains of their respective industries. Iconic institutions that have not only withstood the test of time, but have also known how to adapt and evolve with the changing tides of culture and commerce. Harry Rosen is one of them. Take a stroll in any high-end mall, financial district, or along a luxurious retail promenade here in Canada, and chances are, you'll see one of their instantly recognizable shopping bags, stuffed with garments from today's most revered menswear brands like Tom Ford, Brunella Cuccinelli, Laura Piana, Xenia, and more. And despite their ascent to the top of their industry, Harry Rosen has managed to operate as a family business since they were established by their namesake founder in 1954. Fast forward to 2022, and they're still at the top of their game. From outfitting prime ministers and NBA legends to dressing today's most stylish men, their influence is sizable. On this episode, I'm joined by Ian Rosen, president, COO, and third generation leader at the Iconic Institution. In the second installment of our Mission Critical Live podcast series, Ian joined me in front of an intimate crowd of entrepreneurs and leaders at Toronto's Clio Social Club to talk about his style essentials, leading a heritage brand into the future, and the key to successfully working with your family. Enjoy. Before we begin, I'd like to just uh, thank our sponsor of this evening's discussion, Nature's Bounty Melatonin Gummies. They've had, they have a wonderful setup at the front. Uh, so if you're short on sleep or need better quality sleep like me, then maybe just ask them a few questions. Um, they've got some gift bags, so make sure to have some or take a, a bag on the way out. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We've got a wonderful evening, um, a lot of really great topics that we're going to be discussing. We have our wonderful guest, Ian Rosen, here today. Uh, please give Ian a warm welcome. <laughs> um, so from NBA champions to prime ministers, luxury menswear destination, we all know Harry Rosen has dressed Canada's most stylish men uh, across three generations. They were created and founded in 1954 by their namesake founder. And now the iconic retailer has become synonymous with uh, sartorial excellence, as many of you are very familiar. So I'm so excited to be joined by Ian today. We have a lot of interesting topics to talk about. We're talking about the business of fashion. We're talking about innovation. Also, what it's like to work in a family enterprise and 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 build in today's business landscape. So, uh, without further ado, 
Uh, Ian, we've known each other for a few years. We've had the wonderful opportunity to uh, work together on a few different occasions. So I'm so excited that we can be chatting here tonight. Um, obviously, you're a leader in the business of style. So, you know, as a way to kick off, I'm curious, what's your earliest memory around style and fashion? Yeah, what's your earliest memory? Um, it's a very good question. It's uh, a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between being fashionable and being stylish? And I think um, it's easy to buy your way to be fashionable, but having style means you're developing your own perspective. You're coming, hey, I like the way I wear that, the way, I, I, the way that makes me feel, not necessarily only how I look, do I look like this person in this uh, photo. So I used to have this very specific way I like to fold my socks, like <laughs> uh, fold down and then a single fold up, it showed just enough of the Nike swoosh. And I think stuff like that gets you to appreciate, hey, I'm really thinking about how my outfit comes together from the ground up. I used to do this weird thing where I tapered my pants with a paper clip. So I definitely knew like, hey, I really wanted to present myself the way you know, I felt most confident and comfortable. So that's really where style starts to begin for me. And I think that permeates through to today where I'm pretty particular about a lot of the ways I present myself, fashion and, and you know, the world gives suggestions and we get to interpret them within our kind of style boundaries. Did you have a favorite item growing up or like a favorite like uh, jacket or, or hoodie or anything growing up that you just couldn't stop wearing? Um, I think I wore sweatpants a lot growing up. It was kind of like, you know, easy. And I remember I got this first pair of Levi, like 501s, and I wore the hell out of those things. And like, that's probably, you know, I used to roll them up <laughs> like a certain amount. And <laughs> I definitely grew up in those jeans. So those probably are like the, the, I don't know where they went, but they should, <laughs> I owe them something. And those are items I'd like just get better with age too, because they yeah. get like a patina and then you just uh, live and wear them. And it's almost like, like, a, like a, you can tell the journey of the person that's wearing it because of the way it's been distressed and, and worn throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, again, like, like I said, it's in, there's a lot that, you know, not to fast forward too much, but I like to think of fashion a lot or, or style a lot like investment pieces. Like, can I anchor my wardrobe around this for years to come? Is this gonna be something that I'm looking at next year being like, ugh, can't believe I invested wrong or picked the wrong stock. So there's some staples that have definitely, you know, they're still in my closet from 15 years ago. It's funny because Giorgio Armani, who's a good partner of ours, has changed their label so many times, so I could see exactly which year. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're time up. capsules. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned kind of the difference between style and fashion uh, as well. How has the definition of style evolved for you over the years from when you were younger to where you're at now? Well, maybe not for me, but I think um, Harry Rosen as a business has been trying to articulate to people that, you know, our job and, you know, when you peel everything back, like what's our why of being in business? Like how do we add purpose to what we're doing? You know that feeling when it's like laundry day and you're like, ah, I have the choice of everything. <laughs> that should be every day. And that's when you actually go out and you're confident during your presentation and 
you know, you're re you don't think so much. You kind of just go out there and do. So we kind of tried to attach this feel good, do good to, you know, that's the role that we're playing in your life. And that can kind of stretch to wearing a suit and tie and feeling fantastic on your wedding day to being on Zoom and feeling a little bit more professional because you're wearing, you know, a structured sweater jacket or something. So I think style has evolved so much to this point where um, at least as a man, the, the rules are kind of out the window and there's this reinterpretation of how am I going to show up every day. There's more choice than ever before. Um, if you even look at the customer information that we have, our old core client used to be refreshing their suit wardrobe and buying a few casual pieces. Now they are all over the map. So it's almost helping us trace new circles around like what's that new core customer going to look like. So. I don't know if I've completely rambled off that. No, no, for sure. There and was a point in there, I promise. We talk about like the rules of style too, especially for in menswear. What are the ones that continue to stand true today and the ones that are just out the window? You know, we always think about uh, certain rules like wearing black and brown, like matching your, your belt to your shoes, but how many of those rules still exist today and stand true and how many of them are just really interpreted uh, up to an individual's style and perspective, I guess. There's definitely good guidelines out there. At the store level, we call it good looking clothing. Like you would never want to send somebody out in something that's just not flattering. Whether, you know, so I think fit is first and foremost where it all starts. So you don't want something squeezing into somebody, somebody squeezing into something, or if it can't fit around their thighs or, you know, that that's first and foremost. And, you know, the length of pants is changing forevermore. So uh, there's an appropriate level of bagginess in, in today's oversized world that may not have existed four or five years ago, but not everybody has to buy into that. The black and blue, I, I, it's kind of like a, it depends on which black and which blue. Uh, so you might have to be kind of past level one to, to start mixing that stuff up. And then yeah, that's advanced level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the belt matching the shoes uh, that I would say it should complement the shoes. Um, so there's a little bit of softening around some of those rigid rules that used to be. I mean, uh, if you went to England, they'd tell you to wear black shoes. And my grandfather, Harry, would never wear black shoes, right? <laughs> that was not his thing. And they would say, wear lace-ups, and he loved loafers. So he was already doing his own thing ahead of those rules for a long time. Yeah, and actually, that's a perfect segue because, you know, speaking of your grandfather, you come from a family of entrepreneurs and business owners. So how did you learn to be an entrepreneur yourself? And what did you learn? When did you discover what entrepreneurship is and could be? It's a really good question. I think this, my grandfather was the ultimate visionary and I'm not in any way trying to replicate that. I mean, he was the type of person that would walk into a room and you know, take a lap around and have 15 notes on how to change it. That's not my style at all. But where, the, where we're similar is the stakes are really high when you're a business owner and when you are trying to carry something forward for legacies to come. And I think you're really invested. You care about each decision. You know, you want to protect a brand but not hold it back. You know, I'm joined here by a number of colleagues here who have been great partners in nudging our brand forward and helping us push into new boundaries. But it still feels like we're staying true to what we used to do. So 
in terms of that, like I definitely feel those high stakes when COVID happened, mm. it was kind of a, you know, looking at, hey, Kate, this is um, going to be challenging and we're gonna have to work through a whole bunch of really tough conversations. But at the end of the day, we have to get through this. And I can imagine that's what every entrepreneur feels as they're trying to build something and start something and will something to life. Yeah. That's a lot of what our last few years has been. I think the biggest difference and the thing I benefit from is I happen to have a really great team that also really cares about protecting this brand, buys into the philosophy, helped us shape where we're going. So um, Harry probably did a lot more himself and I'm benefiting from uh, having a really strong team around me. Yeah, and I'm curious, what was your what was your first job? Like, um, you know, years ago, what was the first your first job and your first taste of you know, being out there in the working world. So I was a Harry's helper, which is uh, a wrapper packer during holidays for many years. I'm confident that I got in the way and I wasn't very helpful, <laughs> but no, everybody was too scared to tell me to stop doing it. <laughs> I'd fold something and I'm sure somebody was cleaning it up as it was getting folded. So I did that at Yorkdale for a number of uh, Christmas seasons. And I'll like, I have this vivid moment where um, old Boxing Day that when it was all in person was like this pretty epic day. People used to line up around the things and we would wake up at 6.30, there'd be breakfast at the store. Everybody was gonna do a significant amount of personal sales that day. The cash registers had like, you know, tensor bandages around their wrists because they were <laughs> gonna be ringing so much up that day. And the people were just like, I, I have this vivid memory of a gentleman coming to the overcoat rack and picking up a bunch going through them and just dropping the five that he didn't take on the floor and i was like oh my god yeah <laughs> this is what the day is going to be it's just like chaos just me cleaning up after customer after customer so that was my first job um before i went and did my mba i wanted to get closer to the business so i actually left my job in consulting early and i did a rotation through the business i trained under a really amazing guy named phil dobson who was the head of training uh, for our store staff for many, many years. And I was one minute late to our first meeting and he never let me forget it. He really, really threw me through the ringer and got me to appreciate what it means to work at the store. I did inventory counts. I did pretty much everything, learned how to sell. Um, and I did that for three, four months. And that was probably my first job at Harry Rosen where I felt like, okay, I'm really learning how it works. And I went off and did my own thing and came back in a different mm. capacity. So from working in the store at Yorkdale to today where you're the president and CEO or so COO of um, Harry Rosen, did you always know that you wanted to work for the family business? Did you always want to work for the family business? And when did you come upon that realization? I really didn't think I was going to. If you had asked me for like a pulse check seven, eight years ago, actually, I would have been like, maybe. <laughs> and then five, six years ago, I could say, I could make it work, but I really need to figure out how to work with my father. Because um, that's not a normal thing to do. I don't know how many people work with their family, but you got to gear up for a lot. Uh, and then I 
kind of came on this bit of like a, I was working in management consulting. I was specializing in retail. I did a whole bunch of projects where I was, you know, Drew, we worked at the same place. I was working in public health care. I was working in natural resources and energy. And I really loved the learnings from it, but I could not connect with the industries. And then I started doing some retail cases and it was like, oh, I really love the thrill of I got to come up with something and consumers have to do it or not. And like the stakes are really high and it got me really exciting, probably because I have that's why I don't gamble, because I have a bit of a, you know, <laughs> I, I love the thrill. Right. And um, that got me really interested. And when I switched firms and moved down to Chicago, I started working specifically on projects with people who were brands who are figuring out, should I go direct to consumer? Should I launch this e-commerce thing? How do I set it up? And I was just like so fascinated by the problem solving there. And I said, okay, if I'm going to leave consulting because I really wanted to be invested in and, and you know part of a business, I want it to be somewhere where I'm facing the customer. I want there to be a digital part to it. I want it to be in retail. And then I was like, oh, I have an opportunity in Canada that maybe I should take a little bit more seriously. And uh, my father and I figured out how to arm wrestle in, <laughs> uh, in private and public. And that's, yeah. you know, that's how it works. I mean, speaking of working with your family, what do you think are kind of the greatest lessons that you've learned from your grandfather and your father in terms of working with your family? And I guess establishing boundaries, um, understanding how to, you know, work with family members that outside of, a normal business environment where you wouldn't otherwise? Um, it's definitely work and you have to set very clear boundaries in terms of where and how we have certain conversations. But if you can set up the infrastructure so that you feel like there's fairness, there's respect, there's boundaries, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, goofing off on the weekend and it's like, I didn't get my work done and I mm -hmm. saw, you know, there's, there's a lot to be talk, uh, thought through, but it becomes really rewarding at the end of the day when you could say, hey, I, I do get to work with my father and I do get to learn a ton from him and also figure out why he was away so much and traveling so much and mm -hmm. what the stakes were and how much he's learned about menswear has been really, you know, fun for me. So, you know, as much as I was dreading it or, or you know, like every child might, I think jumping in showed me like, hey, this is actually a really exciting opportunity that not, not many people get. Yeah. And in what ways do you think the vision has stayed the same and stayed consistent? And then also on the other side, uh, evolved from, you know, the early days when your, your grandfather started the business to where you're at now? Lots has changed in terms of the customer's expectations. And when we talk internally about strategy, we talk about putting the customer and the, you know, the customer is the decision maker. We don't get to tell them how to shop with us. We have to prepare for how they want to shop with us. And every barrier we put up in the way, that's taking away from our ability to be competitive, right? So if the customer wants to shop online, let's make it possible. Let's make it value add. Let's make it Harry Rosen. And that's, I think, where we're trying to be make sure that we're moving forward, but staying connected to the way we do things. I'll give a very tangible example, which is when we went online, we did it like everybody else. We took photos of things and we put descriptions in and you could add them to a cart and you could purchase them. 
and then you would ship them to your house in a reasonable amount of time. But there was nothing specifically Harry Rosen about that experience. Now, the way we think about the online integration is, okay, we need to A, show the product in a very, you know, fashion forward way, especially if it's a product we care about. We need to show it on body, styled up. Here's how you can wear it. We should be enhancing the products that we feel we're really betting behind. So the pages that you land on are more impressive and I think a little bit more reflective of where we're going as a company. The way that you build a basket can be twofold. A lot of our clients have been working with what we call a clothing advisor for many years. So that's an individual that we train at the store. It's what I was doing at Sherway Gardens with Phil Dobson. And you build a client list and you build trust. And you typically know what size your client is. When new arrivals come, you kind of say, hey, yeah, I got this tagged for you know Ben or I have this tagged for Andy. And once you know that, it's a lot easier to you know make that sale in store. Well, when we started thinking about the, how do we bring our clothing advisors online, we built a tool for them. We put a lot of effort into asking them how they might think about that problem digitally. And now we have a tool where um, they can add two, three, four styles to a specific page that can be sent to their specific client with the sizes already pre-populated. And all the client has to do is add to cart and check out. That to me, when you're kind of playing at our price points, which are not inexpensive, and there's a lot of, you know, romancing that might be required to buy a Tom Ford jacket or a Xenia leather or something like that. Having somebody say, hey, I know this is going to fit you and this is going to be great for you. Well, yeah, of course, that's the way they should be shopping online. And we've built that way of think. you know, that's a very Harry Rosen you know, mm -hmm. the, the value is added on each step of the process, but we put it into a way that a client might want to shop. And when COVID started, our advisors realized, hey, this is the way that I need to start helping my clients shop. And then when COVID stopped, yes, we saw a lot of them return to store, but a lot of them are still shopping that way. You know, they're shopping differently it yeah. is exactly how we want to do it. So we always think about what Harry was great at. And he had this philosophy that when anybody walked in the store, he didn't want their eyes to wander what's in the store. He wanted their eyes to lock with him or the individual and for him to say, hey, come over here. I have what's great for you already set aside. Like, so when I think about the online world, what were you trying to replicate is like when you land on a homepage, it's kind of like a sea of product. How can we make that a little bit more? Hey, I got you. Mm -hmm. These are some great things for you. And yeah, if you want to go browse and, and figure it out and yeah, we have all the standard personalization engines and easy ways to search and yada yada going on, but that's uh, complementing what we do best. And I guess within this context and this landscape, what do you think is the distinction between guidance and, and helping people understand how to wear something or how to style something versus convenience and making sure that everything is there for them and they don't have to do much in order to process their order, check it out, and like, and be a returning customer, basically. I think both are table stakes. Like, you have to be okay. able to make it easy for somebody to do it on their own and conveniently, and you have to make it possible for them to get service when they need it. So even something as subtle as we've built a team of clothing advisors that work virtually, that when you are on one of our product pages, we have a call out that says, do you need help? Like, are you not sure? Hmm. Talk directly to, and it routes a chat directly to one of these six people. 
they know how to answer product questions, they can help you with sizing. Like that's the level of service that we aspire to be able to give, but don't have to give, right? I'm a pretty savvy shopper myself. I know my size, I know what I like. I might have a little bit of tactical questions for somebody specific, but I can take care of myself. Somebody else might have, hey, is this tapered at the waist? And we want yeah. somebody to be able to go and get that information before somebody presses purchase. Yeah. Now you work in a space where you have a lot of people that are interested in in luxury, but what does luxury even mean? I think maybe traditionally you would have associated with a high price point or a beautiful textile, but today and for you, bless you, what does luxury, how do you define luxury? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's definitely not price point driven. I think uh, especially after the last two years, like going to a restaurant <laughs> feels like a luxury sometimes. Mm -hmm. and. Being able to go out to a night like this feels like, you know, a, what an exciting thing. Like these are the little luxuries we call. But I think it's being able to present somebody something that they feel like it's not necessarily that they're getting value for their dollar, but that there's a lot of thought, quality. You know, the, the, the person who presents the product to you has really thought through what they're presenting and there's been a lot of effort. And that can be something as simple as a face cream and we've presented a whole range of grooming products online these days that we feel are not, you know, just a formula. It's mm. something that we feel proud to put in front of a client all the way up to some of our really, really special pieces that are one of a kind or, you know, 10 of a kind with really rare, you know, fabrics or really intense handwork to them. So again, I think it's all about when you buy something cheap, the best day is the day you buy it. And when you right. buy something, you know, luxury, the worst day is the day you buy it, and it gets better <laughs> with age. Uh, so <laughs> maybe that that defines it. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, now you work with some of the most iconic brands in the world. You know, in in the store that you host, you were meeting them on your buying trips. Um, in your experience, what has been really the most fundamental? or biggest shift in the retail space that has really changed the rules of shopping and e-commerce. Um, how has that landscape evolved over the years, especially over the last few years? We feel in a world where it's as easy for our brands to get to our clients as us sometimes, it's important for us to invest in those relationships in a really meaningful way. So what value are we adding to one another, right? We feel that we are really great retailers that we inspire people to buy into new collections. And yes, you could proliferate a whole bunch of mono brand stores all around the world, but people walk into a Harry Rose and they get introduced and educated and become loyal clients that way. And we wanna be partners with people who buy into that vision. So having pretty frank and candid discussions about what role we can play in the future and what role they can play in our future has been a real hallmark of the last few years. And I think actually putting it on the table has been the most helpful part of this all because we're finding that very few brands don't believe in wholesale. Very, very few don't. And what we wanna make sure that we're doing is what can we do and help amplify for that brand? How can we differentiate the way that they're going to market? And you know, like I said, we care about making that customer buying experience you know, 
up to the client. So we also feel that we have a competitive advantage when it comes to retailing and actually helping the client and serving the client. So I think it's a win-win. Mm. And I don't know necessarily if that's where, where you were heading, but it also is, it, just to take a step back, um, we're, our entire fall magazine focus or the cover story of our fall magazine is all about the next generation of fa like Italian fashion leaders. And it is amazing as you read through the exact words of four or five of them, all of them are focused on how intense their, you know, the, the generations in the past were towards quality, but helping those brands break through into a new way of connecting with clients, modernizing the brands, modernizing the way they partner with people. It's just like the same story again and again and again. Mm. And that's actually really exciting because there's a whole bunch of new ways of partnering with their, these brands because they're so much more forward looking than perhaps they ever would. Yeah, or, yeah. there's a, a common thread between all these brands. Yeah. In your experience um, working with these brands, you know, what's a brand that's doing just a, a great job in terms of engaging its audience and embracing innovation and technology and just this new way, not even new, but like just today's way of, of shopping and commerce? Um, <laughs> There's so many to uh, think through. I, I mean, I think Brunello Cuccinelli is probably like I'm, I'm, I'm in love with their product, but they've also just built this mindset and this world around the brand that is so easy to connect to as a client. And, you know, there's a very specific way, you know, they're adding, like they're giving permission for people to wear leisure wear. And that's why I think they've been so successful in the last two, three, four years has been, you know, you don't need to suit it up all the time. You can dress it down with a sweater or you can just wear a sweater and you can wear jeans with a sports jacket. I, like they've just been one where I think the consistency is almost like mm. second to none. And the way that they've been going to market with wholesale partners and pushing their wholesale partners to present the world of, pushing them to, you know, focus on not necessarily falling back in safe areas, but hey, break into, you know, shorts as an example. Who would have thought we would be able to sell their shorts? But you know, they push us in new ways. So they're definitely one that I think is, you know, really working through direct to consumer, through wholesale, in a pretty innovative way. Now shifting the lens back to to Harry Rosen, you know, for a company that has so much heritage and roots you know firmly planted in in the past how do you look towards the future by embracing technology and innovation what are you working on that's you know pushing the company forward <laughs> I, I i think from a technology side we've been investing aggressively and systematically to connect the store and online as seamlessly as possible there are platforms and companies out there in retail who do not believe that online and offline are the same business. They believe they are two distinct businesses. And I think very differently. I think that these are two channels that complement one another, but you're able to service a client. You know, we don't ship internationally. We're not focused on, uh, yes, not everybody's proximate to our stores, but we need to make sure that we're enhancing the in-store experience with digital and that we're enhancing the online experience with the access to our people and all that stuff. So 
that's the vision that we're investing behind. And I would say that we continue to invest aggressively. Coming out of COVID, we are like laser focused on shifting some of that spend to the store level and making sure that our stores are a lot more digitally forward than they are today, right? I would give us a, a B minus right now and I wanna be an A plus. And that doesn't mean, you know, iPads everywhere and, you know, screens mm. on the wall. To me, it means the customer is able to access information and access services in a really, really fluid way from online to offline, from offline to online. I envision a world where somebody's building an appointment online and it's all ready for them in the store, whatever hours later. And I envision a world where somebody comes and tries on a bunch of things all the notes from that appointment are sent to them and they make their decisions outside of the store. Like that's the way that customers are moving. So that's how we're thinking about technology. It's not necessarily how everyone is. Obviously, the last few years have been very challenging uh, for a number of reasons, but within the business and the retail space, what have you really learned about being agile and making quick decisions and being able to have a leadership uh, and a company under those circumstances? It's a very good question. It's one that um, there's so many answers to in terms of learning, but I was really humbled by how much our team banded together and didn't let the circumstance hold us back in so many ways. So in the middle of COVID, we decided we were going to undertake a complete, you know, like a brand refresh. Why? Because we had to, <laughs> like we had to get going. And if that was the first thing to kind of is like, what is everybody going to remember on the other side of this is like, Harry Rosen was that you know place I used to shop, not the place that you know we want them to be thinking about. So the team was able to work remotely, you know, really push the envelope, still put really impactful things into market, and continue to clip along and make sure that our brand was out there. Mm -hmm. I was really, you know, I remember there was a day where like there wasn't a soul in Yorkdale, and I was like doing a key handoff with somebody. It was like one of the wildest, most like. It was a Saturday on Yorkdale, and there's not a soul there. It's the most expensive warehouse in the entire world. Um, and having our teams who there was so much uncertainty there make sure that things could, the processes and the things were lined up to make sure we got picked, packed, and shipped when everything uh, went digital. I had a whole team of people who were just watching order flow, making sure that things didn't break because it was like levels that we'd never seen before online. So I think the willingness to chip in, I'm coming out really grateful on the other side with, with respect to the team. Like most important learning is like, we can move fast when we want to. Like we're a big organization, but we were able to accomplish some pretty incredible things in a short condensed period of time with the benefit of focus and buy-in. And I think everybody feels like, wow, I, I really helped. I really see the work and the impact that I'm, that I put in like on the scoreboard, on the sale, <laughs> on the sales report at the end of the day. And that's what got us through it. So we're trying to make sure we're slowing down a little bit and cleaning up some of the things that 
maybe there's a little bit of duct tape here and there, but mm. um, we're still making sure that we're charging forward aggressively because of it. Yeah, I mean, really embracing the spirit of collaboration and also just understanding that you have the ability to scale mountains if you need to and if you force yourself to. And I think everyone has learned that to a, a different capacity or degree over the past few years and understood or discovered that we're all capable of more than we thought. I'm curious, what do you think has been the best mistake you've ever made that has turned into a success or maybe we won't call it a mistake, we'll call it like a, an unintentional decision that has turned into you know, a great decision that, that came about. Yeah, but so my first role when I joined Harry Rosen was I oversaw digital and I oversaw e-commerce. And that meant uh, all the products we developed, so all the apps for in-store, the website, along with the business of e-commerce. And I had this grand vision, and I walked you guys through the end state where it's working really well, but we wanted to develop something for our advisors, and we wanted them to use it in a very specific way, and we wanted them all to use it. And we put a lot of money into rolling this thing out, and we launched it, and then like crickets. And we were like, oh, okay. If we only add this one more feature, then they'll use it. So we'd spend a month, and we'd, you know, now, and they're like, not using it. And, um, you know, I had to take a step back and Gary Deal, who is, uh, he lives in Calgary. He and I were working very closely on the project. He said, what if we just focused on like the people who are going to use it and like get them using it? And, you know, it reminded me like, oh, I should be thinking of things internally, not by mandate, but by like proof. Mm. So that was a, a really important like inflection point. In my, the way we started approaching things is like, okay, well, Who's going to use this? They're probably on the younger side, you know. They're probably new. They're probably like, you know, we're not going to be convincing. We're going to be, they're going to get it intuitively. And like, what goals do they need to hit for everybody around them to be saying like, sorry, how many dollars did you do this week without like lift, you know, when nobody was in front of you? Mm. And we helped get four, five, seven, ten, fifteen, twenty people up to that level, and then our best people started sitting those people down and saying, show me how to do this thing. And then it snowballed, right? Like, and it was a really good lesson for me about product adoption, like you can't force it. I'm sure all of us have worked at bigger organizations where they're like, you know, today we're launching this. And it's like, I didn't read the email, so <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna do it. And I'll, I'll make the mistake until I'm forced to. So there's a lot of, I'm happy I took that approach. I'm happy we were able to course correct, but it also reminds me, when we come up with a feature, who are we designing it for? What's the adoption curve going to look like? What is, you know, like let's temper our expectations uh, of success um, right out of the gate. Yeah. What are you most excited for for the road ahead? What's the vision? What's the the, the two year, the five year, the the big picture for you? I hook onto this line and it's a joke, but I think it's indicative is like Harry Rosen is not like your father's suit store. It's my father's suit store, but you guys, should, <laughs> um, you shouldn't be thinking of it in that light, right? And we have been pushing our brand so far out of that, you know, box. And I think we're really introducing a new generation to who Harry Rosen is. And I really want to see our stores and our websites start to come together and reflect a new 
Harry Rosen that a lot of that new generation can relate to, but obviously continues to connect with that core client that we've worked up to. So that sounds like pretty vague, but it's definitely, there's a lot of work that has to go in to make sure that that um, those brand touch points are consistent. And even if you take like the D to C era has made branding so clean, you know, I, I'm like a huge pilot coffee drinker and like, it's so tight from the, like the email you get when your coffee arrives to like the the design on the bag, like everything's really thought through. So and the in-store or the in-store yeah, the in-store experience, experience yeah. as well. Like yeah. all of it comes together in a really tight package, and it's probably it's easier to think through. Possibly, I mean, I don't want to say it's simple, but I, I look at it at that and I say, okay, well, we need to replicate that at our scale, and there's a lot of work to do, um, but exciting work to do. And then I'm also really excited about where fashion is heading. Um, we just launched a new uh, brand called Herald. Mm -hmm. I know you're picking up your uh, <laughs> your uh, piece soon, but um, it is anchored and custom made and has a lot of great ready to wear products around it. It's really for introducing people to how much fun you can have with fashion, um, customizing everything from a track jacket to you know, just jogger pants with cargo pockets or a suit if you want it. And, you know, making great overcoats and things like that exactly to your liking, I think is exactly where we need to be helping and educating men to say, hey, you really can, you know, to that earlier, to that first point I was making about fashion versus style, like you can really shape the wardrobe that you want. We can be your partner in that. So I think fashion's just going to be really exciting. I think the sweatpant thing is, you know, there's definitely comfort moving forward, but it's not all track suits and sweatpants, so. And you can also, because you got a, a suit made for obviously, and you can customize the, I thought one of the interesting features is that you could customize the lining and add your own photos and or designs to it. Yeah, I, um, I took all the old Harry Rosen ads my grandfather was like, and the ads he used to put out, he had this campaign called Ask Harry, which we still use to this day, and it was like, you know, how wide should my cuff be? If you don't know, ask Harry. How, where should I keep my spectacles and my uh, pipe? Uh, ask Harry. It was like Harry had all the answers for a man when it came to all the rules of menswear. So I put those on the inside of my thing, just a connection of new to old. And we also threw a bunch of old ads around the office just because they're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have a lot of business leaders in the audience, people who are either founders of their own companies, leading their own organizations, or leading their teams. What advice from your own experience do you have to give uh, anyone that's looking to just continue leading their team or, or build their business? What's the general advice that you would have? Um, I, I think the depends what kind of leader you are, but I personally have benefited so much from understanding all the nitty gritty parts of how it all comes together. You know, today I was in our warehouse, getting specific people to walk me through our new warehouse management system and how it works, because I know that that's going to help me connect a dot next time I hear something in another meeting. So I'm really, I, I love to just consume, like, how does it all work? How does it all come together? And I, I really encourage people to make sure that they don't lose sight of how the actual work's getting done. Number one, because it helps you appreciate like what level of output you're getting. But number two, I think like one of the jobs we have as leaders is, you know, when 
people are working in a specific area, maybe they don't know or haven't heard of a specific initiative that's going on or a functionality in another system. Like being the bridge to say, hey, you guys should talk to one another is half the value sometimes I add to the conversation. So I, I think just making sure that if you didn't grow up in the details, making sure you learn them um, is almost like foundation number one. And then number two, just repeat, repeat, repeat where you want to go. Because if you don't tell people where you want to go, don't surprise them and then they'll say, whoa, I didn't know you're heading this way. <laughs> and then you'll all start rowing in the right direction. And it's it's an uncomfortable habit. You feel like, oh, well, you all know, of course, that it's like, no, people forget. You know, this is our flywheel. This is our strategy. Here's why we're making the decisions that we're making. And make sure that everybody sees the the picture is probably the, the two things that I'm making sure that are priority for me. When you're leading a business that has been around for multiple generations, one that is beloved and treasured, how do you determine the path forward? How do you innovate and challenge yourself as a company without alienating your existing audience? That's the challenge that Ian has been tasked with as a third generation leader to captain the business. Add to that the additional complexities of working with your family on a day-to-day basis, and you've got a recipe for the perfect storm. Many would buckle under the pressure of being in Ian's position, but what he and his team have managed to do in leading Harry Rosen through the pandemic and the brand's own digital transformation is a masterclass in adaptation and innovation. They've managed to accomplish all that without sacrificing the core of their business, their culture, their audience, and have done so in style. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?